0: Our scripture lesson this morning, and I want to get immediately to that, and uh, pray that it will uh, help us in getting ready for Holy Week, which will be next Sunday, will be Palm Sunday. But the lesson today has to do with in the garden, and I'm reading from Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 following. Then Jesus came with them, that is his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved. To the point of death, remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed saying, my father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. And he came back and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise and let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Amen. May God, to our understanding, this important reading from his word. Let's bow in prayer. And now, our Father, we turn our minds and hearts especially uh, to thee asking for the guidance of thy Holy Spirit as we pick up perhaps the most sacred scene in all of Holy Scripture. We pray that the Holy Spirit himself who alone can interpret the true meaning of these awful passages of Scripture may speak to our minds and hearts in this hour so that our wills may be turned over to you. We pray that you will accept the gifts which we bring this day. We joyfully dedicate them to your service and pray that they may be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, I was staying in the home of a friend and I saw a familiar face on a book. The title of the book was A Preacher's Life of Jesus. I had not um, Uh, seen George Duncan's face in some time and it made me very happy that book to read during the course of the evening. I think the most moving chapter in the entire book came when I got to the place in the book which told of Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's funny how your mind does strange things to you when you go back to an old familiar haunt, having gone back to East Texas and looked at those little churches on the hillside, and amongst the old people that I knew as a boy coming up, I could still remember the singing of a hymn, where he leads me, I will follow. We were thinking a while ago about how good it is to have close fellowship in a church, and in the church there, uh, when the invitation was given at the conclusion of the worship, which was not every Sunday but was almost every Sunday, if someone did come forward, the pianist or the organist would switch immediately to this hymn I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, I'll go with Him, with Him, all the way. There was something very moving about those people coming down the aisle and then the singing of this hymn. And then the people in the church would get up and walk forward and greet the person who had come forward. And I'll never forget their one stanza. I'll go with him through the garden. I'll go with him through the garden. I'll go with him through the garden. I'll go with him, with him, all the way and i can remember still what a solemn impression that made on my mind especially when we come back to these words in the gospel of matthew then jesus came with them to a place called gethsemane and he said to his disciples set here and the king james puts it while i go yonder and pray there are sometimes there is a place that comes to us in life where we have to go alone. He had with him those 11, Judas had already departed. He had taken the 11 and he said, sit here while I go yonder and pray. But even he needed someone else to be with him and so he took Peter and James and John and asked them to come apart with him. And he began to be grieved and distressed. The Mark and Lucan accounts of this tell us that he was astonished or amazed at the feelings that were going through him in that moment. And the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that with fearful groanings, he offered up his soul to God in prayer. I can remember how surprised I was when I read those words and that it occurred to me that Jesus had actually experienced the sensation of fear. I have known what icy fear can be. I can remember looking into the face of the anesthetist and the people in the room and wondering if when I went to sleep I would wake up in this life or whether I would wake up in the world to come. I didn't know and there was a fear that came, but then there was a resignation of my will to the Lord, and then peace came. Well, the Lord Jesus was far braver than I could ever be. What would be the source of the agonizing fear that would have come to his soul in this moment? It could only be the fact that he who knew no sin was to become sin for us. That those dreadful words My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Were not merely the recitation of the 22nd Psalm, but were giving expression to him as darkness came over the face of the earth, and he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. It begins here. He was grieved and he was distressed. He was grieved. And he was distressed. Then he has to leave these three. And he says to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He hungered for them to share with him the experience that he was going through now. They were bewildered by all that had happened in the upper room. They were bewildered by the strange things that he had said on the way to this olive garden. They had seen him do so many incredible things. They had seen him stop a storm by simply saying to the winds and the waves, hush, be still. They had seen a leper screaming frantically, unclean, unclean, and Jesus touched him, and he was made complianced again. They had seen a man being carried out to a graveyard and a poor mother weeping her heart out, and Jesus stopped the funeral procession and said, young man, arise, and he brought that man back from the dead. So how could it be that he should be so baffled and astonished and grieved at such a moment as this. They could not understand it. And he says to them, keep watch with me. When you come into some bitter moment, if it came tonight, who would you want to be with you? Who would you want to be with you? Last Saturday night, I got a frantic telephone call from Indianapolis from a huge hospital, and a mother, who two days before had given birth to twins, told me with her heart breaking that one little boy was healthy, but the other would have to have a heart operation. It took five hours to operate the little boy just two days old. He was not to live. He died. She wanted that little boy so much, but she called because she wanted prayers offered in behalf of her little child. She had reached the place of exhaustion and she besought God for prayer. She must take comfort in the words of Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth. She must resign this all to the Lord's gracious hands. So Jesus, Jesus seeks the companionship of the three amongst the twelve that he felt would most understand and says, keep watch with me. Keep watch with me. There has come this place where he will surrender his will. And there is that place where each of us must come to where we surrender our will to him. I wonder a proportion of people who go to church, above everything else in the world, want the will of God in their lives. If they knew it, would they follow it? Would they be obedient to it? Or is it that we simply want enough religion to comfort us when we are distressed? Or is it that we want to go with Him, with Him, all the way? This place was quiet, and in that place he could see the plan of God unfolding. The old King James puts it, he went a little further, a little farther. Do you want to go a little farther with God? Are you satisfied where you are, like Bob was saying a while ago? Are we satisfied? Not to be as good as we ought to be for the Lord and to accomplish as much as we ought to accomplish for him. Certainly we ought not to be satisfied, therefore that we need to reach and to win for the Lord. So there is a place where we have to surrender if we go farther with him. He went farther and fell on his face. Attitudes in prayer are interesting. The element of time in our devotion is interesting. He fell on his face prostrate on the ground. The Son of God who made the earth falls on the earth. He falls on the earth prostrate in agonizing prayer. This is a tremendously solemn thing, for here comes the price of surrender. Being in an agony, he prayed the more earnestly. And Luke tells us his sweat were as it was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. Why is it that to surrender to God's will is costly? Why is it costly? Well, sometimes there is a refusal that comes to us. The mother wanted the baby. But God had to say, No, no. Jesus said, If it is thy will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thy will be done. All of us come to some place where we say this to God Let this thing go away. But sometimes that's not his will. And his refusal of our request is the best answer to our prayer. He was not, I think, afraid of the physical death. All of his life, his life had been centered in doing the will of God. In the volume of the book it is written, I delight to do thy will, O God. His chief delight came from doing the will of God, and being obedient to God. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed, and now, in some way that defies verbal description, he has to bear sin and guilt. And this is an astonishing feeling. That comes over him. He had taught his disciples if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so he can do that too. But here, he who is sinless has to take on the hated thing which startles him. He takes upon him sin. This is the price of surrender. The price of surrender means to refuse myself and to obey God's will no matter what. I remember, Dr. Bill Elliott, years and years ago at a, uh, some youth convention that the Presbyterian Church had in Auburn, Alabama, that I attended, preaching a great sermon. And in that sermon, Dr. Elliott told of a conversation he had read about of Dr. Sam Zweimer. Samuel M. Zweimer was a great missionary to the Muslims. And Dr. Zweimer told of a man who had come to him and had inquired about the Christian faith for a long, long time. And he had at last come to believe in all of his soul that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and that he must surrender his life to the Lordship of Christ. But he knew what the penalty would be, that his family, who were fanatical Muslims, would see to it that he would, or at the very best, cut off, and that he would never be allowed to speak with any of them again. He came to Dr. Zwamer to ask him if he could somehow be a secret disciple of Christ. And Sam Zweimer had to tell him the hard thing that Jesus had said. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And Dr. Zweimer said that he walked outside of the mission compound and looked from the balcony and saw that man as he started to leave the compound and he stopped under a palm tree and knelt down on his knees and began to pray to God. And he said, when I saw him do that, and saw him come back later, and openly confess Christ as his Savior, I thought what a cheap, sorry brand of Christianity we have in America, where people are offended Sometimes if you even speak of Jesus, the price of surrender. There is a story of a marvelous lady who was at a prayer meeting and someone came up to her and said, I would give anything in the world, everything in the world, if I had your faith in Christ and in God. And she replied to the young person who had made this statement, that's exactly what it cost me. Everything in the world. Are we really willing to give our lives over to the Lord so much that we die to self? The cost to Christ was surrendering to the will of God. And every single Christian will go through some faint semblance of Gethsemane where he too must surrender to the will of God the place of surrender is where we go and discover God's will and where we're willing to pay that price and having paid that price there comes a peace the peace of surrender he came back and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And then he came back to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. But now he has surrendered it all to God. I used to wonder why these words were put in this sacred thing. It almost jars you. Arise and let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. What it means is, having resigned to the will of God, he can come back and pray. Arise and let us be going. I can face the cross. I can face the people who are coming to arrest me now. And with splendid courage, he will tell the temple police who come and take hold of him, Let these go their way. I am the one whom you seek. Luke tells us that they were so astonished they fell back, having never heard words like this from a man, something so tremendous about his presence. The place of surrender, and the price of surrender, and the peace of surrender. This little book is Jungle Pilot. The other night we were emphasizing missions and we'd had a rather painful time that evening and had been into the doctor and back and so I went through the red slip of people that were to pray for with my wife and then read out loud from Jungle Pilot. The story of Nate, one of those missionaries who was killed down in Ecuador. I didn't know until I read this book that his father had made 15 of the windows in the National Cathedral. He was a great stained glass artist. The great rose window in the north transept uh, was created by Lawrence Saint, Nate Saint's father. They were tremendous Christians. They loved the Lord, and they loved their Bibles, and they loved church. And this boy resolved early in life to give his life over as a life of discipleship. From the time he was uh, little William Teeter's age, he drew airplanes as a little boy with the scrawl that he drew the planes with. He wanted more than anything in the world to be a pilot. And he was figuring out how he could serve God and be a pilot as well, and he went into the Air Force back when it was the Army Air Corps at the beginning of World War II, he was selected for cadet training. And then he came in to discover that his leg was reddened and that there was terrible swelling and pain in it. An osteomyelitis, which had struck him at 14, had now hit him again. The fever and the pain were so great that he had to go to the hospital. And even though he was tops in his class, the doctor had to tell him, you will not fly for the army. And he came back brokenhearted. And in this book, he tells of the experience. But then he says, how beautiful it is to know, in spite of my shattered dreams, that God's will for me is best. And somehow, He will resolve it to his own glory. And how God did. He took this man to Ecuador and thousands upon thousands of young people that whole Urbana conference can tell you about Nate Saint. The many who have come to the Lord as a result of the deaths of those young men who served him and he was the key jungle pilot. The peace of surrender comes when we have paid that price and have gotten to that place. And then, I think it is, that we can know the victory that the Lord brings through the love of Christ. Man fell in a garden and Christ fought in this garden and yielded his life to the will of God. And then in a garden, God brought him back from the dead again and gave him the great victory over death. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forever.